0: Hello there, hello there. Hello, what have we here? Hello there and welcome back. Thank you very much for joining me again on this, a brand new episode of Daniel Talks About Star Wars, the show where I do exactly as that name suggests. I, of course, am Daniel and we're taking a look at the most recent novel that I finished today and this time it's... Last Shot, written by Daniel Jose Older. I'm not entirely sure what possessed me to really check out this book. I think after reading The Rising Storm and finishing uh, Victory's Price, those were both books that I was very much invested in, very much invested in The High Republic and the Alphabet Squadron series. You know, I was deeply involved in the stories and the characters of both of those books, and they were very intense and emotional experiences so i think coming off the back of those two books i just wanted something a bit fun a bit light and from what i'd heard from daniel jose alders last shot story featuring han and lando in the main roles you know it sounded like the kind of thing for me at this moment in time so i decided to check it out and For the most part, I wasn't disappointed. This is by no means my favourite Star Wars book that I've ever read, but it still gave me enough of what I was looking for. I don't think this will be a particularly long review, because I'm not interested really in exploring the plot too much, uh, and ruining (laughs) all of the uh, exciting beats that take place, as I often do in my book reviews. What I really want to focus on are the characters, Han, Lando, and, and the sort of side characters around them, because I think where this book excels is with the characterization of the two leads, of Han Solo, of Lando Calrissian, and I think Daniel Jose Alda does a phenomenal job of capturing both of those characters' voices, and not even in the way that they think and the dialogue, but even the way that he describes the way they move sometimes. Like, I could literally picture particularly Harrison Ford as well, like, just doing those things as as if they were on a screen in front of me. I think, yeah, the way uh, Alder writes the two main characters is pitch perfect. Um... And it's quite an impressive feat as well, because not only does he write them the main bulk of the story, it does take place some years after uh, Return of the Jedi. At this point in time, Ben Solo is about two years old, which I'll get back to in a minute. So, like, that's where the main thrust of the story takes place. Um, So, we're dealing with with an... an older Han and Lando, obviously, with everything they've gone through in the original trilogy, but we do also flick back to 15 years prior, uh, in the case of Lando, and then 10 years prior to the main events of the story, in the case of Han Solo, and it's even more impressive, I say, because when I'm reading the younger Han segments, and when I'm reading the younger Lando segments, I'm not, I don't feel like I'm reading Harrison Ford's Han, or Billy Dee Williams' Lando, it feels like I'm reading Alden Ehrenreich and Donald Glover, like, respectively, and that was really interesting as well, because they don't feel like totally different characters to their sort of modern day, if you want to call it, counterparts, you know, they still feel like the same characters, but just, obviously, as they are, Younger, I again could hear the voices of like those younger actors that we see in solo a Star Wars story in my head and, and like it was it just all came very naturally, like there was no kind of moment where I was like, Oh well this is weird, like why Han suddenly is acting like this or this doesn't seem right or this is out of character, like it all just worked, and that was definitely without a doubt my favourite part of the book just any time Han and Lando interacted with each other, which, you know, is most of the book <laughs> to be fair Uh, how they reacted to different characters, and just their internal monologues, you know, it all worked as well, and going beyond that as well, sort of what Daniel Jose Older does to take us to this point in the timeline, a few years after Return of the Jedi, and kind of setting us up for how Han in particular, because obviously Lando isn't a huge part of the sequel trilogy, but we can see how Han is sort of on this trajectory to becoming the way he is in the sequel trilogy, and to sort of, we, we we can already see, although Han and Leia don't necessarily have any, like, problems within their relationship right now, at least nothing that seems too threatening to their relationship, you can see how just little things will eventually contribute to the downfall of their relationship and their son and, like, that was all really interesting, and, like, it's not in your face, it's like, look at, look at Han's problems, he's a terrible father, he's a terrible husband, it wasn't like that, but you can just see how small things surrounding their relationship, you can see how they will just sort of get worse over time with sort of what we know of the sequel trilogy, of course, and that was really impressive to me. So, yeah, Again, overall, that was definitely the highlight of this book, and it's a good thing too, because that is an awful lot of the book, is just getting to enjoy these these two characters, Han and Lando. Uh, you know, that we all that we all love so much. Sort of speaking, I suppose, about Ben Solo and, and Han's relationship with him and, and Leia at this point in time, that was great too. We don't, you know, I mean, having a, a sort of young Ben Solo content in this book felt really like, I don't know, I felt like I was accessing something quite secretive, like, because I didn't really realise that, not that Ben Solo, of course, being an infant child in this book is a huge character or part of the book, but just... You know, there's quite a bit of him at the start, just with Han being a father to him, and that was something that I didn't really know about or really expect coming into the book, so sort of to get this sort of insight into Han's parenting at this time felt kind of special, because, yeah, it's just such a rarity, you know, with at this point in time in the canon, you know, there are so little stories that fill out that time between the original trilogy and the sequel trilogy, it does feel like still we are missing so much of that relationship, Um, so this felt very special to read, and the way Han is around Ben just sort of, it's just absolutely perfect, like you can tell he absolutely loves this boy, but Han is just, he's full of, like, a lot of self-doubt, really, you know, he about being a father and about being a husband to Leia. And Leia, who is, like, off doing what Leia does, you know, being that sort of strong political figure, that leader in this new republic. And meanwhile, Han is just, like he, like, he's relinquished the title of general if I understood it correctly. Because there was a point in the book where somebody called him Captain Solo, and I was like, hold on, he's not been a captain since The Empire Strikes Back. But it is then later on said that he gave up the title of general, you know, like, so he's he's not ready to be as invested in this new republic, you know, as sort of, like, a prominent figure compared to, obviously, someone like Leia, his own wife is, and he kind of is begrudgingly going, uh, I can't remember quite what his role was, something to do with pilots, like, I don't know if he was, like, training them or something, but there was some role he was fulfilling, like, for the new republic, but, like, he's doing it so begrudgingly, and, like, he just doesn't want to be there, and, like, he, you know, because now, sort of, being part of this new government and trying to, you know, sort of steer the galaxy in a new direction is not exactly what he's used to. It's different when you're like these guerrilla fighters, you know, you're fighting for this rebellion, you know, that's what it was all about a few years ago, and now he doesn't quite know what to do with himself. So yeah, all the stuff with Han was like really interesting, and and there's plenty of moments throughout the book where he is quite vulnerable, and that felt nice, like that didn't feel like a betrayal of his character in any way, because we are so used to be, uh, to Han just being the cocky, smart guy. It felt really genuine and like a very natural progression of his character, and of course, as I mentioned earlier, you can see how these doubts, how, you know, even though he loves his son and he loves his wife, you can see how these doubts of his will eventually sort of lead, not single-handedly lead, to obviously what happens to Ben eventually, and to the new republic in general, but just how it contributes in you know whatever minor or potentially major way you might interpret that they will. But yeah, like it's just yeah, it was just really expertly done, and like I said, just the absolute highlight of the book. It was such a joy reading these familiar characters that of course, are so familiar to us, but reading them here felt comfortable, uh, but also it sort of had its own surprises that came along as well, just in terms of the conversations that R had and the thoughts that are shared uh, between them. I'm doing all this talk of hand, but really, I mean, in my opinion, Lando is, is um, probably the main character, I would argue, in this book. I felt like there were a lot more chapters from Lando's point of view. Lando, you know, it's a bit more difficult with Lando, because we just have less Lando content, obviously, and then with the sequel trilogy, obviously, he only pops up in The Rise of Skywalker for about five minutes, and, and that's it, and from, you know, from that brief appearance, he doesn't really seem any different. So Lando's sort of main conflict throughout the book, or his, like, personal conflict, is him just trying to balance, like, his two personas, almost, you know, the sort of is he the hustler, the gambler that we're kind of more used to him being? Or is he the Lando that, you know, blew up the second Death Star? You know, he led that mission. <laughs> and, you know, that's kind of what he's juggling, and at the same time, he's opening himself up to this uh, new character by the name of Kasha, um, who is a Twi'lek woman who Lando, you know, is in love with, and she is in love with him. Like they're exploring this relationship together. They have a bit of history, and actually, you know, their moments together are very sweet. Like Lando, much like uh, Han, has times where he's very vulnerable with Kasha, and he reveals how he feels. And you know, he and he just has this different side to him that we're not used to seeing, which again was very refreshing. But at the same time, how he's written throughout the book and the how he reacts to certain situations again is very. Comfortably, Lando, and we can recognize that and be like, ah, Lando, yeah. So, like, it's just the balance of old and new in terms of the characterization of the two leads is uh, really great, as I've probably said about a hundred times so far in this review. In terms of side characters, it was just there was an awful lot of personality throughout the book. That was something that I really enjoyed you know, there's this angry little Ugnor on Lando's side uh, by the name of Biggles, I think, or something very similar. Um, there's a um, an Ewok slicer, so like an Ewok sort of hacker type character that obviously doesn't speak a word of English, or basic rather, throughout the book, uh, but she's very good at slicing. Her name is Peekpa, or Peepka, I think it's Peekpa, which, even reading the book just in my head, obviously, like, I still really struggled with her name, like, every time I was about to read her name, I did, like, mental gymnastics, and I was like, <laughs> Um But yeah, like, she was really fun to have. There's this Gungan character, which th- probably one of my favourite moments in the book, where I genuinely did sort of, like, chuckle out loud, which is a big thing for me when reading a book. I don't often find books funny ever. Han and the team are trying to get into this facility for plot reasons that I'll explain later, and there's this Gungan there that they need to get past, and so Han is getting getting ready to, like, talk to this guy, and he starts saying, like, he starts going, like, Misa, and then, like, the guy just stops him, and he's just like, my guy, if you are about to start doing that, that ridiculous accent, or, like, you know, that that weird way of speaking with me, then you need to stop right now, and Han is just, like, so taken aback, and it's just this Gungan that's, like, so fed up with, like, the whole galaxy thinking that he's gonna walk around going, like, Mr. Jar Jar Binks! you know, like, all of that stuff, like, that was a really funny moment, and the book is just full of characters like that, like, fun things to, you know, like an Ewok slicer, that's such a novel idea, and something that just... I really enjoyed uh, throughout the book, and she, like, as well, like, has this thing for Chewie, like, she's kind of in love with him, which, just as an aside, I kind of love this whole running gag, like, from Pekpa to, like, Maz Kanata in The Force Awakens, I kind of love this running gag that they've got in the new canon, where it seems like everybody just loves Chewie, or, like, all these different alien women are just in love with Chewie, <laughs> and like, like, that's really funny to me, and I hope they keep it up, because like, of course, Chewie can't reciprocate, because he's uh, a married man, he's a family man, uh, but yeah, that was, that was just something really funny, and like, I enjoyed all these little side characters. There's a character, uh, Tarka, as well, um, who is their their pilot, because like, Han and Lando, like, they can't take the Falcon or anything on this mission. It's not a mission that they go on that is officially sanctioned by the New Republican anyway, so they're doing it on the down low. So they hire their own pilot with their own ship. And yeah, Tarka was a cool character as well, and they as well, just I'll mention, are a non-binary character, which is lovely to see, just that representation and that inclusion in Star Wars. It's something that they're really good at in the novels and comics and stuff. There's a lot of LGBTQ plus representation in the literary world of Star Wars, which is always lovely to see. And Daniel José Alder as well. There's a non-binary character as well that, that, that Alder made in the High Republic as well. He's in the, oh, sorry, not he they, sorry, um, are in the High Republic Adventures comic, they're in uh, Race to Crash Point Tower, Quantum Psy, the Jedi Master, you know, so Daniel Jose Older is very good with that, in, you know, including characters like that, and yeah, it's just lovely to see. So yeah, in terms of the characters, like, honestly, this book is, is excellent. However, where it falls down a little bit for me is just in the plot itself, like, it Initially, it was quite interesting. Um, the book starts with a droid at Lando's facility on Bespin just suddenly being overcome with an urge to kill Lando, and eventually we learn that this is, all has something to do with this device called the Phalanx Redux Transmitter, and to make a long story short, it's a thing that makes droids just want to kill everyone, essentially, and this thing will like transmit that potentially, across the whole galaxy, and obviously send a load of droids into a killing spree. That's the objective, then, of the book, to stop this thing from, obviously, doing that. The villain of the book, the person that created this device, is a powan character, someone who hails from Utapau, by the name of Fizen Gore, and he's just, like, this really messed up guy, like, his whole thing is, he thinks droids are, like, the superior beings in the galaxy, and so, you know, he's, like, death to the organics, long live the droids, but then he's also kind of trying to create, like, a higher being as well, and the way he does that is by merging droid parts and organic parts, so there's, like, quite grisly scenes in the book where, for instance, there's one bit in the past where L3 and Lando stumble upon this facility where there's just dismembered body parts and corpses and like dro- uh, dro- droid junk parts as well and it's like really quite horrific and then there's descriptions of droids having like human or just organic arms attached to them humans having droid parts attached like you know vice versa and it's all just kind of really gross and it's like that body horror aspect which I'm not opposed to Star Wars exploring these ideas and genres and stuff, but I think this book just went a little bit too far for me personally, where I was just like, oh, you know, at the end of the day, this is Star Wars, and while this is an adult novel, I suppose for me personally, I I always like that consistency of that family feeling throughout Star Wars, Like, I've only really recently come to terms with the fact that in Star Wars these days, we do have a bit of light swearing, you know, like you know, the fact that people are saying crap and other harder words that obviously don't quite go as far as, you know, saying F this and F that, um, but still, like, you know, the fact, I think, you know, as George Lucas intended Star Wars back in the day, and this is evident from the fact that in the original trilogy and the prequels, we don't have any language like that, and... It's slowly transitioned now in the Disney era, where characters will use, you know, not full-on swears, but, you know, still words that make Star Wars a bit more PG-13 than it used to be. Uh, You know, I've only recently come to terms with that, because it used to bother me quite a bit. I was like, oh no, Star Wars isn't like that. And there's an awful lot of that in this book as well, which, like, isn't a problem. I've sort of just gone off on a tangent now. My main issue was with the sort of violence and the horror aspect of the story uh, in this, you know... Also, as well, this is a very sexually charged book. There's an awful lot of talk about sex, and particularly young Han and young Lando, they're they're very horny. <laughs> but again, I, you know, I don't really have a problem with that necessarily. You know, at the end of the day, as I said, this is an adult novel. This is not intended for children to read. But at the same time, I've said it, you know, I've made my thoughts clear. But yeah, so getting back to the plot, sorry. So obviously, that's what it's all about, Han and Lando going off to stop this Gore character, uh, someone who they have both had dealings with in the past, sort of mostly unbeknownst to them both, but they have had encounters with him and this (laughs) Phylanx redux transmitter. It's a bit of a mouthful. (laughs) Um, And that's why we have the flashback segments. Um, And I loved those bits as well. Those were always quite brief Uh, and to be fair, just talking of uh, the pace of the book, it is a very brisk book, you know, it took me a while to get through just because I wasn't like 100% invested like I was with something like The Rising Storm, for example, Uh, but the chapters themselves were quite short, so it was easy to get through when I was reading it, and yeah, Lando's flashback segments take place 15 years before the main events of the book, and his are with L3, and it was lovely to see L3 again, actually, you know, she's a lot more reserved in this book than she is in Solo, Um, so I, you know, I I did quite like her a lot, she was a lot more sincere, I think just because of the situation they were in, like, obviously, there's an awful lot of droids in distress in this book, and obviously, with her, with L3 being the way that she is, she's very distressed about that, so she's a lot more serious and and sincere in this book, Um, and I enjoyed seeing that side to her, and it was just nice to see her again, like Lando, like for whatever my sort of problems are with Donald Glover in Solo A Star Wars Story, Lando and L3, them in the Falcon together, they're a a pair that I, I do genuinely really enjoy, and I would like more stories with them and with L3 specifically, and it's nice kind of as well that the entire book, you know, for all the sort of ridicule and, and hate that L3 got off the back of Solo, um, you know, the book really is sort of on her side almost, and, and, like, it really kind of, for lack of a better term, really pushes her agenda, uh, that, you know, droids are more than they appear, you know, there's an awful lot of talk about how human, well, not humans, organics and droids are very similar like droids can sort of overcome their initial programming they can learn and they can change and they can adapt the same way any organic being can you know and there's a lot of talk like that about that and obviously that's draw to to have droids be recognized in that way is everything that l3 sort of wanted and fought for while she was alive so you know that that that's nice to see from a personal standpoint, honestly, though, I kind of don't like that, and that's just a very personal thing, like, even though I I just said that it's nice to see, like, personally, I'm not a fan of the sort of idea that Solo introduced when it comes to droids, you know, the fact that droids are having sex themselves, you know, and, and sort of that they are more than machines, you know, and like, you know, of course, the droids do have personalities, we know that, and of course we're a lot more attached to specific droids throughout the films, you know, like C-3PO and R2-D2, like, you know, I get that, but the, the I, I, I can't really myself buy into the idea that they are so close to humans in that way, that they can sort of adapt and change based on their experiences in that way, like, I kind of just, I have difficulty personally buying into it, but that's just a, a, like a personal thing, like I said. I'm just not a fan of that whole development that did originate in Solo. Uh, and then when we've got um, Han's flashbacks, they take place uh, 10 years before the main events of the story, and um, Sana Staros is there, which is a character from the uh, Marvel Comics she's appeared in uh the st- the original Star Wars run that started in like a few years ago wh- when it- when it was taking place between episodes 4 and 5 she's currently appearing in the Doctor Aphra comics uh she's quite a big character throughout the new canon uh, this was my first real exposure to her, and I really enjoyed her, actually, so I'm looking forward to reading a bit more about her, she is in the Doctor Afra audio drama, which I am reading the script for at the moment, so looking forward to having her pop up again, I definitely want to get to know more about her, and yeah, like, again, those segments, uh, especially as well, was full of that personality, and that kind of uh, great character stuff that the rest of the book has, like, there's this tiny little mob boss character, like the leader of this crime syndicate that wants to get his hands on the uh, Phalanx Redux transmitter, and he's, like, just this tiny guy, and he's got this very, like, strong accent, and there was just a lot of energy to the way he spoke, and I think something that helped with that is that even though I don't typically like this, Daniel Jose Alda, he he does write dialogue phonetically, like, if a character, like, I can't remember the name of this tiny little my boss character, but, you know, a lot of his, like, every word that he spoke pretty much was, like, misspelt, and, and, like, there was a lot of emphasis put on the way he says things, and that just helped bring the characters to life. I'd, I've never encountered this before, you know, in, in a novel, at least, but, like, he wrote out even when Chewy would growl, like, he'd write, like, like, just a bunch of R's and, and, like, G's and A's, like, you know, just these random collections of letters to signify when Chewie was talking, whereas another book might just say, like, Chewie grumbled in uh, dissatisfaction, like, he doesn't do that, he opts to literally spell out what these characters say phonetically, and it does, It you know, even though, again, I wouldn't typically like that, it goes a long way in bringing the characters to life, and sort of giving them their own unique voice throughout the novel, and it and, and it really worked, and again, all my favourite stuff from this book was the character stuff. And that'll do it, I think. Um, yeah, I don't really want to talk about the plot too much. It is fairly straightforward in, in that, you know, it is just about trying to get the Firelance Redux transmitter back. Yeah, all I really wanted to talk about was the, the great character stuff and the weird body horror that I wasn't really a fan of. But all in all, you know, for the most part, I did enjoy the book. It was just that stuff that kind of brought it down for me. Like, I wish the story had gone in a different direction, or I just wish it was less graphic, a bit more family-friendly, uh, like what we're used to with Star Wars, but that's just me, that's just personally what I enjoy when it comes to Star Wars. I do really like Daniel Jose Alder as a writer, you know, and I've seen interviews with him, like he's a really cool guy, and he injects his stories with a lot of personality. There are a few sort of big things about this book that didn't do it for me, but all in all, I think he did a really good job, so yeah, that's... That's Star Wars Last Shot, released in twenty eighteen. I think it was it was released to sort of coincide with Solo. I don't know if it came out before or after the film, but it was definitely around about that time. So as a sort of quasi tie in book, but not really. You know, it's it's better than it than it needed to be. So yeah, that's that, and that brings us on to the very special segment of the show, which is named after everybody's favourite little Ewok, (laughs) (laughs) Wookit. This, of course, is the segment of the show where I take a look at Wikipedia. I select a random article by hitting that Surprise Me button, and we'll just talk about whatever comes up, you know the drill by now, but first of all, I'm going to take part in a poll that I will find on the homepage... Let's see what we got. Best Republic Clone Wars Era Starfighter. Man, the ships always have much longer, more boring names than they need to. I'll just refer to them as the, what we all know them as, either the V-Wing or the Jedi Interceptor. For all my talk last episode, where I rambled on about ships for however long, (laughs) um, you know, I said that I didn't like the Jedi Interceptor quite as much as the Starfighter, but I'll be damned if I pick the V-Wing over the Interceptor, so I'm going to go for Interceptor, and that is in the lead with 60%, as opposed to the V-Wing's 39%, so cool. All right, surprise me, Luminara Unduli, one of those classic prequel era Jedi that just, you know, falls into that category of being, like, semi-famous to to people like us, you know, in league with ki Mundi, Plo Koon, Kit Fisto, Luminara, of course, Ayla Secura, you know, all those types of characters that they made action figures of back in the day, so that's why we know them all, (laughs) but Luminara, she was never my favourite personally, and she didn't get an awful lot of play in the Clone Wars series, so not a lot has been done to remedy my feelings towards her, you know, she's fine, although she's one of those ones where, like, because of the Clone Wars, I kind of like her less, like, not that I ever, like, sort of liked her that much at all, but, like, when it comes to characters like ki Mundi, for example, like, when you're a kid, you kind of just like all the Jedi, because they're all, in your head, they're all good people, but, you know, growing up, and, and now, sort of, seeing the Jedi of the prequel era for, sort of, how they're supposed to be uh, interpreted, which is, you know, deeply flawed, and then on top of that, you've got characters like ki Mundi, who the Clone Wars, kind of, ruined for me, in a way, like, there's, I remember specifically in the, in the final episodes of season six of The Clone Wars, where Yoda is having some freaky visions, and he goes on his whole quest to learn to become a force ghost, essentially, like, Ki-Adi-Mundi's there, like, Yoda's going crazy, man, like, we need to do something about this, and, like, it's like, no, what are you talking about, like, that he doesn't even trust Yoda, he's, like, the plain devil's advocate that whole time, and similarly, to bring it back to Luminara, like, I can't quite remember, but I'm pretty sure it's heavily implied, if not outright stated, that she's the person in in the Ahsoka arc during the final season of the Clone Wars that tells the Martez sisters that, like, it's totally fine that her pe- that their parents died, because it's the will of the Force and yada yada yada, and, like, that's a big moment for Ahsoka when she realizes, like, Jesus, yeah, the Jedi aren't all they're cracked up to be, really, are they? And it's just like, if, they, if that was Luminara damn, you know, like, that's cold. But anyway, let's take a look at a little bit of behind-the-scenes information, just on Luminara. Unduli was originally going to have been depicted in episode 3 being killed as part of Order 66, but this scene was cut along with the deaths of Barriss Offee and Shakti. Unused footage from Attack of the Clones was going to be used for this appearance. That's interesting, I wonder why that was cut, because she does very briefly appear in Revenge of the Sith, and I'm not sure if that's stock footage or not, but, you like, she's on Kashyyyk, you know, she's the one that's, even though Yoda is there as well, and, of course, he's the one that we focus on when they're on Kashyyyk in that film, you know, she's sort of leading the, the battle, if it were, you know, like, it's her, it's her clone legion with Commander Gree and all those lot that are there doing the fighting, so she does appear very briefly, so I wonder why they chose not to show her death. Although that's, that's interesting though, because, sort of because of that, that then allowed her to, like, I'm pretty sure she survived Order 66 briefly anyway, because then that becomes a plot point in an early episode of Star Wars Rebels, so if that, if that had happened, then we never would have had that happen in Rebels, so. Oh, here's something. The female Jedi mentioned by Rafa Martez in The Clone Wars Season 7, who talked to the sisters about, uh-huh. let me try that again, who talked to the sisters after their parents died, described as having dark ro- okay, I'm having a hard time with this sentence, <laughs> I'm not sure if it's me or the way it's written, described as having dark robes and green green skin like unduly, but it has not been explicitly confirmed whether that was her or not. Oh, okay, so it's still unclear, but I'm pretty sure that's supposed to be the implication. Luminar is definitely the type of Jedi you can imagine saying something like that, but yeah, that's- luminara and that's whatever this segment is called (laughs) thank you once again for listening to another episode of daniel talks about star wars it's always fun to talk about the novels and stuff i've been reading a lot more recently which is which is great and i've got no signs of slowing down so yeah i'm just having a good time (laughs) so thank you for listening to me ramble on about last shot for a little bit go check it out for yourself if it's if you think it sounds interesting, it's definitely worth a look, I think, you know, if you're a bit, if you're a bit less delicate than I am, then obviously your sensibilities probably won't be quite so offended by the more (laughs) uh, adult things that take place within the book, but yeah, anyway, this has been another episode of Daniel Talks About Star Wars, so thanks again for listening, and I'll see you next time, goodbye!